This episode of the Expat Cast is sponsored by BetterHelp. As expats, immigrants, foreigners, people living abroad, we face plenty of challenges outside the norm that might sometimes feel like a little bit too much. Especially when you add on to that a global pandemic that separates you from friends and family and isolates you in your new country. So, yeah, I can understand why some of y'all might be interested in seeking therapy. BetterHelp is a great option for just that. They are an online service that connects you with a qualified therapist with whom you can do sessions via video, via telephone, or even via chat. I actually have several expat friends here in Germany who use BetterHelp for their therapy. One fellow American found it important that her therapist understands her U.S. background. For another, her insurance just didn't cover therapy, so she was going to have to pay out of pocket either way, and BetterHelp can actually be a bit cheaper than in-person therapy. One major benefit is how quick and easy BetterHelp is. Finding therapy through the German system can mean months of paperwork, a language barrier, a cultural barrier, all things that can make an already overwhelmed feeling even worse. But with BetterHelp, you actually get matched within 48 hours of signing up, and then you can get right to diving into the issues that brought you there in the first place. To learn more and sign up yourself, head on over to betterhelp.com slash expatcast. And as a special offer to the expatcast listeners, you can actually save 10% on your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash expatcast. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I want to dive right into this week's episode, which is with a new friend of mine, Chase and his wife, Allison, and above all, I mean, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Their dog, Coda, um, who was completely amazing. They are all three <laughs> new and wonderful friends of mine here in Freiburg. Chase is a fellow podcaster, and my appearance on his show a couple months back directly led to him coming to my beloved Freiburg, where we've gotten to meet up and become buddies. I wanted to interview Chase, and I, I knew the two of us could talk about so many different things. The most obvious choice would have been to talk about remote work and digital nomadship, because Chase's podcast focuses on expat life through the lens of remote work. The thing is, though, I really, really like Chase, and I really, really didn't like the whole world of digital nomads. And I didn't tell him that yet. <laughs> I told it to him on this episode about digital nomadship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, saying I really, really dislike it is complete exaggeration. It's not actually that serious or extreme, but, but I do have a bit of a single eyebrow raised about a lot of digital nomads that I've seen online and certain aspects of that lifestyle. Now, I didn't want to ambush Chase. I didn't want to invite him on the show and invite him to talk about a topic that I know I secretly hate and then attack him with that information. But part of me said, you know what, Nicole, that's exactly why you should do the topic. And I'm so glad we did because Chase really opened my eyes to some aspects of digital nomad life and remote work that I hadn't really thought about and gave me more more inputs to consider to draw a more educated opinion upon. All right, enjoy the episode.
So my name is Chase Warrington, and I call North Carolina home in the U.S., and I've been living in Spain for almost the last five years, and I'm currently calling Freiburg, Germany home, just right around the corner from you. Hey, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here, uh, both physically, like in Freiburg, and also uh, on the expat cast, because I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, this is a very fun full circle moment. I mean, I guess a little backstory is I was on your podcast, I don't know, what, six months ago or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And uh, it was a really fun one. And it's a big reason why I'm currently in Freiburg is after that conversation, I was like, why am I not going back there? Uh, <laughs> I need to quit talking about it and be about it. And now you're here. <laughs> and we get to hang out in person. So this is this is really cool. Exactly. Well, and okay, so this is also an interesting segue because you've now mentioned a couple different places that you have lived in Europe. And, and how is that possible? I set out on like a journey, I guess, from day one. Like when I graduated college, I was thinking like, I just need to be able to work remotely. But I didn't think that there was like an international element. At that time, I didn't think that international remote work was a thing. But I did think that I probably could still have like a decent job and just not go sit in a cubicle. And so I managed to like work that out. And uh, I've always worked remotely is the long story short. And huh. now I work for a company that is what we call remote first. That means that we're just basically allowed to live and work from wherever we want. Yeah. So I, I move around a little bit and live in some different places and that's powered by remote work. And the core of my job actually within that is all about like making remote work work at a really high level. So I'm legitimately the nerdiest remote work person uh, out there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to confess something to you. I actually really thought about today if I'm going to tell you this or not, but okay. I, I just have this like impulsive reaction against specifically the phrase digital nomads, but also this <laughs> entire concept of like remote work, especially in the international environment. I don't think I've mentioned it to you before because I feel like it's completely something that I just want to examine for myself because I don't know <laughs> if I think it's completely fair. It's not something that I'm like, this is my hot take. I think it's nonsense because uh, I'm not sure. I just, but I just have yeah. this, I just have this reaction. So yeah, I decided I want to tell you. I want to confess that I'm, I'm somehow <laughs> These are biased my confessions. <laughs> I love it. I don't think you're alone and I don't think it's ridiculous either because I think there's a lot of like geo-arbitrage out there where remote work, it has its pros and cons and, and many different facets like on the individual level, societal level, company level. And, and I think there are some definite negative connotations with the phrase digital nomad. And I think also like it can be something where, you know, locals feel like remote workers can come in and kind of like due to geo arbitrage, meaning like you're bringing high paying Silicon Valley paychecks and going and living in third world countries where you get to live like a king just because you come from a certain place. And this creates this sort of negative stigma. Um, even if it is just the the 1% that are doing that, it still is like kind of what people tend to envision. So I definitely don't think you're alone. And I don't think it's unfair uh, in, in a lot of ways. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping to uh, also break your your uh, bias in a way and show you that we're not <laughs> evil monsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, part of it is definitely this element of like constantly rerouting yourself. I, I could imagine it being difficult on a personal level and on an 
interactive level. So like personally, it's disruptive to keep and having to create home in a new place. And then like, do you even bother? Or at some point do you just say like, well, my home is like my things and my family and I'm not going to put much meaning into the, like, the rest of it. Um, and then interactively, I mean, in the sense of interacting with the culture and the environment that you're in. And like, if you know you're only going to be somewhere for two years before you're on another continent for another two years, do you even learn the language? Do you integrate into the local culture or are you more of like a just sustained tourist or something like that? I don't know. I feel bad even saying any of these things because there's like absolutely good reasons and arguments against every single thing I just said. And I'm really aware of that. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's good that you bring it up and that you're like honest about it. Because I think I know for a fact, like there's plenty of people out there that have sort of this negative bias, but but they really don't want to talk about it. I mean, because they're not really sure how to bring it up. And I'm totally fine to have that conversation because I do get it. I have a lot of these conversations professionally with organizations who are considering going remote. You know, should we go remote and all the reasons not to do it? You know, oh, people will be just be working at home in their underwear and they'll be lonely and sad. You can't build team culture and it's hard to have creativity and all these different reasons. And those can all be true, just like all the things that you said can be true. But there's other sides to that coin. You know, that's something that I think is is worth doing because the truth is, is like it's a reality that will only continue to be more prevalent in our in our society these days. Like more and more people are going to have access to remote work. So it's better if we have these conversations, figure out how to make it work for everybody. And and the important part of that is everybody, like not just the remote worker. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. I mean, if, if we took on this topic three years ago, I think it would feel and be different than it is now. I mean, this is like you're saying, it just is a reality. I'm really interested then in hearing your first impressions of remote work as someone who did it back in the day. Like we're talking a decade or so ago that you started working remote. Yeah, I graduated in 2008 and uh, my first job was was a remote gig. It was like what we call hybrid. So I worked for a company that was like 90% in a couple offices and I was one of the 10% that was out of one of those offices working remotely. And I went in, into the closest office like one day a week and then within a couple months I was never going in except for like a quarterly meeting or something. At the time, that was very like futuristic. It was like, whoa, like this was an experiment kind of. It definitely wasn't the norm. But for me, it was great because I was like, I can do this job. I can make my own day. That was a big part for me. As much as I wanted to be able to live where I wanted to live, I wanted to be able to like kind of craft my own workday because I think the the nine to five is broken and I was going into the business world and I'm a creature of habit too. Like I want to have my friends and my routine and own a home and like do all these normal things. I just also might want to like move around a little bit and build my own day as I, as I see it. Long story short, in 2009, I started working remotely in, in this type of environment. And then eventually it was just like, actually, I really want location independence. <laughs> like <laughs> this remote thing is cool, but I'm still kind of confined to the US. I'm, de I'm confined to regions within the US. I need to be able to get to off our offices occasionally and what I really want is like just to be able to go to Patagonia for a couple months if I want to do that. And they didn't think that was possible, which is not shocking. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to move on and, and find, find that next chapter. And, and, and I found that in the, in the company that I work for now. So yeah, it's transitioned a lot. Like what I found seven years ago or so in like a fully remote company that just said literally work wherever you want, be wherever you want, work when you want was like totally unheard of. Literally, I can walk you through the, the process because it was kind of funny, like how we found it. My wife played a big role in that, Allison. So anyway, we found this job and now I now that's like the reality is, you know, it's very, very 
uh, location independent. Yeah, I do want to hear this story because uh, tell me if I'm I'm wrong, but I think your company is not only remote first in that that's how it's structured, but aren't they also working in encouraging other companies to do that? So this is like a meta situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and actually even a bit more meta is like that's my job now is like uh, is like encouraging that and helping that. It's a big part of my personal role, um, but also yeah, as a company, that's what we're trying to do. So what what was funny was like. So I took a year off um, from work. Like I, I was in that chapter of my life where I had remote work, but I didn't have location independence, and I knew that's what I really wanted. And we were actually like traveling, doing the early forms of digital nomading, like month to month, but in the U.S. When was this roughly? Do you know what year? Yeah, this would have been like 2014. I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. And so we were traveling month to month and working like that. And my my wife had like uh, transitioned her work into like an online business, um, managing an Etsy shop that was doing pretty good. And I had my job where I could like work remote, but we needed to be in the US. And specifically, actually, for this year, we had like worked out a deal where I needed to be in in Florida for for the whole year. So we were just like moving around in Florida to different places and, and enjoying that. But then like we had this talk where we we're like, we just have this burning desire to go spend time abroad. And like, we really need to try to just finally like pitch this to the company. Like, can I do this work from anywhere? Cause I, I can in a lot of ways they had those conversations. It ultimately didn't work out. And so I decided to take a year off and just, we decided to go to South America and, and travel around and just sort of figure it out from there. And flash forward, like towards the, the end of that year, we were now several months through a trip in Europe and it ended up in spending a few months in Ireland. Now, Allison finds this Pinterest board that has 72 jobs that'll allow you to work from anywhere. And it was 70, literally a list of 72. And like, that was the end of the list. (laughs) There were 72 jobs in the world that would like let you work from anywhere. And 70 of them literally were, were developer, like engineer jobs. And I'm not an engineer. I'm not a developer. So, but there were two that could work. I applied for one of them and that's the job, the company that I ended up going to work for. But the reason I say that about like the 72 is like very literally, that was the end of the list. 72 companies that I could find that would do this. And today there are like 72 job boards that just cater to remote work. Like they only have all remote jobs and like it's it's crazy. So like in that short, pretty short time frame, like it's changed on an insane level. That's really mind boggling too. And I'm I'm just thinking about I remember like 2016, 2017, some people in my life and myself, we were all like shifting jobs at the time, right? And we went to different locations across the US. And the one was like really trying to to brag that she like landed this coolest company ever. And part of the, the brag was well, the building itself. And like it has this amazing looking cafe and it has all these cool couches and there's dogs everywhere. And that was how you won those one up arguments back then, you know, mm-hmm. and now the one up is like how minimal of an actual office is it? And like, <laughs> maybe it just doesn't even exist. and <laughs> Maybe it's just all online. <laughs> 100% agree. Yeah, that's like we we actually joke a lot of times like the Googleplex is like the remote work of today. Like when the Googleplex came out, it's like, oh, ping pong, your culture is like yeah. <laughs> ping pong tables and like, there's a slide. <laughs> yeah. And uh and and now it's just like uh how little do you make me come to the office? Right. <laughs> That's right. what we really want to know. And I, I mean talking like in hyperbole cuz it's not for everyone, it's not for every job, it's not for every company. What I feel like I'm 
pushing for, or, you know, I don't like to use the word advocating for, but sometimes that gets used. Like there's just the option, like for people like myself who, this is like the least important of these people, but like people like myself who just want to have the freedom to like move around, like, like, why shouldn't you have, if you can literally do your job from anywhere, why shouldn't you be able to, if, if that's what calls to you, but on like more important notes, I have teammates who have been able to move their families out of like pretty rough situations in countries with like really no hopes for their children to countries where they have great options and, and, you know, better schooling and and a a brighter future or like two people who are from two different countries that can now like be married and have kids and have a family and like do their thing because one of them was able to keep their job and move to the other's country. Um, and then like all the jobs that it's bringing to like the developing world and, and some, some emerging economies, like there's some bigger macroeconomic things that this is shifting that are, that are actually like pretty exciting when you dig down into them. So my thing is, is where that's possible and it's not possible everywhere. It it can at least be an option. And then you have to just mitigate some of the, the downsides, which, which are real as well. That's really interesting because I think one of the main qualms, shall we say, that I've I've had with the whole concept is actually the privilege of it all. Middle and upper class white Americans just being like, I just want to like live a life of travel and like manifest <laughs> it and I'll just get this like remote work and like me and all my children and, and my partner and our dogs, we're just going to like visa hop across the world and basically make that US passport do its work and yeah, and like have this US salary and like you're saying, like working in the global south or any kind of developing country or any country or area where the cost of living's down. That's re- that's real too. I can't say what I just said without that being because that like the whole conversation absolutely has these like two dichotomies. Like, and then you could flip it back over and you can say like I've heard people say, "Oh, this whole remote work thing is just about like mining poor countries for cheap talent." You know, yeah. you're just going out to to countries where you can hire people for two dollars a day. And and now you're ruining economies uh, back where those jobs used to be, you know, back home and, and you're outsourcing them to these other. And so like you can keep going like like that's that's the total opposite of what you just said about like, you know, rich Americans getting these jobs and then traveling ac- across Europe. And so all these things do actually happen. What I think is really cool is like our company, for instance, which is called Doist, by the way, there's no like secret there. Um, so <laughs> do, Doist, like we're a hundred people with people in 35 different countries. So like pretty much every third person is from a new place. And some of those those places range from people who are living in big cities in the US and Europe to I have teammates in in Bangladesh and Jamaica and Chile and rural islands and off the coast of Greece. And, you know, so people are coming from all over. So it's this like melting pot of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different schooling systems, different uh, opportunities at birth. And like, we're all like this one united team, which is super fulfilling culturally, but also like, look how that economically, how that's being dispersed and, and sort of not exemplifying that stereotype of like, oh, like rich Silicon Valley guy gets remote job. And now goes and travels across Europe. It's it's yeah. kind of like exemplifying the opposite. Yeah, exactly. I guess I never really heard it painted out in that way. Like, yeah, that's also happening. Also, on the other hand, what you just explained is happening, which which is really cool. And, and is, yeah, you're no longer only privy to certain positions and certain opportunities if you're located in the right place and from the right background. 
And actually, now that we're talking about this, I'm laughing to myself a little bit because we're both in Freiburg. We're recording over an internet platform where you can use video or you can just use audio. And we're just using audio because the German internet cannot handle like a video call sometimes. (laughs) Actually, like (laughs) countries such as Germany, which have terrible digital infrastructure are in some ways disadvantaged in this because it's gonna it actually seriously limits how much work can get done if your internet is incredibly slow (laughs) yeah which is mind-blowing by the way nicole like somebody told us that when we first arrived here that that was a real thing like oh yeah your your mobile data will just like go you'll be walking around and it'll just won't have mobile data all of a sudden and then you you know the internet just like won't work well and i and i'm like Oh, not in Germany. Come on. Like <laughs> uh, but I've I've found that to be true. You were you were correct. Let's let's take it back to like, okay, so you you get this job um through through being in Ireland and seeing a Pinterest ad. And then I guess I'm guessing that that's the job that enables you guys to make the move to Spain. And then what was it like those first couple of years in terms of like pros and cons? How did that end up working for you compared to what you were maybe hoping or expecting? It was so key to us being able to actually like settle down. So we, we we didn't want to be constantly moving from place to place, but visa restrictions, you know, if you wanted to live a traveling lifestyle and, and as far as I knew at that time, getting a job that said, yeah, you can work from wherever allowed me to transition from being more of a nomad, which was like bouncing around every three months to hop in and out of places where you could be for only 90 days to being like, oh, cool, we can actually like settle down and immerse ourselves in the culture in Spain and learn the language and and be here for longer than 90 days and make Spanish friends and and actually like invest a lot more in the local economy. It's actually kind of cool to think about. I never really thought about it until we're having this discussion now, like that transition let us really have the life that we wanted. But I think also transition from being like a nomad and a vacationer to like living. So that's that's kind of a cool thing to reflect on. And our plan was to stay there for one year. Like it wasn't necessarily that we were, when I say we, by the way, I'm referring to myself, my wife and our dog, Coda, who's like a 50 pound Siberian Husky. And I mentioned that because nomad life with a 50 pound Siberian Husky is not like super, super fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's cool for a while and it looks great if you're like a social media influencer, but I am not. Yeah. Like just the smallest of things, like trying to negotiate a Airbnb with like, Hey, yeah, by the way, I have a wolf dog. Is, is it cool if he comes? They're usually like, no. Um, does he shed? You're like, yeah, a lot. Um, and then like logistically, like, you know, flying and trains and dragging a crate around with you. Uh, so all those reasons, it's better just to like kind of stay put. So we really wanted to stay put in somewhere, but we wanted to be abroad. We wanted to, we really specifically wanted to be in Europe and Spain offered this visa that said, yeah, you can come to Spain. You can live here as long as you have an income that can support you coming from somewhere else. You can do that for a year and then you can renew it. And we thought, okay, cool, we'll go do that for a year. And then we'll probably just move back to the US and we don't know from there. But we ended up just loving, falling in love with Spain in a lot of different ways. We, we moved to Valencia, settled in there, made friends and, and really liked the lifestyle. And then so we just kept renewing the visa and have now been there for almost five years and are working on our paperwork for permanent residency. And what about some of the other remote work cliche cons? Like, And now I'll take the geographic aspect more or less out of it, except to say, well, I'll put this part back in, time zones. Yeah. <laughs> Just do with that as you will. But yeah, generally things like time zones, things like the lack of the, the hallway conversations. Have you experienced any of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, to to a degree, I have. On a personal level... I at first really had to figure out how to like be productive in a 
in a remote setting, like without the structure. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for like, it's not for everyone. And especially if you're the type that gets distracted very easily, or you're not really good at like creating your own work structure each day. So like, I'm, I'm pretty diligent, you know, like I have my routine, I go to a place to work and I separate my work from my life very intentionally. And if you're not willing to do that, then like it can, it can get pretty dangerous, I think in a way, like, like from a productivity standpoint, but also like just your mental health, like you just, you'd be working all the time. I also think it's a really big responsibility of the companies. And this is something that I work on a lot, like to intentionally create work environments that support people and feeling okay disconnecting. Um, There's like tons of stats that show that remote workers uh, actually like way overwork as opposed to like a lot of the fear from leaders moving to a remote work setting is that their team will underwork. And I've seen this, like I I watched, but this happened to my mom, actually. She was the first remote worker that I knew. And I watched this exact thing happen to her because of a very toxic remote work environment. So I think I'm like <laughs> predisposed to hating that and <laughs> um, and really try to help companies like migrate away from that concept of like, you need to put the infrastructure in place to encourage people to disconnect, to to make sure that they, they feel included, that you're like having social events virtually, but also like in person. Like we we're a fully remote team, but we bring people together twice a year to like actually have in-person time together. Uh, one other thing I think is like we tend to believe that because someone's working remotely that like they're not going to fill that void with something else. Work is like where you make a lot of your social connections and friends. And so we tend to think like, okay, if you remove that, then they just get sucked into this vacuum of loneliness. <laughs> and, the, and the truth is, is like most people fill that void with a lot of other things. You fill it with more time with your family, uh, more time with your friends. You fill it with joining a gym class or, you know, a cycling club or a book club. It's not, again, not the case for everybody, but like the, there isn't just this loneliness corner that you're stuck in just because you're, you're like working from home. But again, I think it's like a big responsibility of the company to help encourage these downsides, like like the solutions to these downsides are there, but individuals on their own may not always seek them out. And and so you, you need to really have like an environment that encourages that. Yeah. I'm also thinking about how some places have then over COVID, especially places that were not previously prepared for remote work, tried to do designated socializing online. Yeah. Like it's not the same thing and you can't just one-to-one copy and paste these things and think that they'll work. It's not rocket science, but for for those of us like yourself and I who are looking at it going, that won't work. It's amazing how many people think that that will work. Like, oh, let's just have a Zoom happy hour. People will love that. Nobody wants to go to that. Nobody's stoked about that. And then you mentioned time zones. Exactly. I have a company literally spread across the entire world and I have somebody in every single time zone. So if I want to do a happy hour, then I'm either forcing somebody to drink at like six o'clock in the morning, or I'm forcing people to feel not included, which is also toxic. So better just don't do it. You could find other ways to make people feel included. And and so it's just amazing to me how many teams have like tried to replicate what they did in the office in the virtual world. And like that is rule breaker, like number one, just just don't. Don't try to replicate what you're doing in the office. You have to go back to the very beginning to what some people might call like first principles and build remotely from there if you're going to do it really, really well. Okay. Well, now I want to ask about the, I don't know, six months or so between when I came on your podcast and how you ended up in Freiburg, because now you've sort of entered a phase of hopping around. You became even more the the Instagram 
influencer because now you're living van life, correct? <laughs> oh yeah, and, and I have long hair, so it's just like trying really hard to be the uh, with the husky. Yeah, I, I think this is also specifically what I'm picturing in my head. I don't even know if this exists, but like my my gut reaction image when you know you initially say like digital nomad, it's like this um, North American hot young couple with their gorgeous little kids and they're like five dogs that all live in a van and just like. <laughs> Sounds kind of disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my personal qualm with it. I'm like, no, uh, personal. No, space that's not cool. real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, like, yeah. I like to sleep in my own bed and shower. <laughs> um, so our van life thing is like not that cool. Shouldn't say van life because it's like vancation or something. Like we need a new term um, because we don't live <laughs> in the van by any means at all. We did like a, f- a handful of weeks in it last year. And we were like, yeah, that's enough of that. Um, (laughs) To go back a little bit, like we bought our first camper van back in that same year that I was talking about. I think it was around 2014 and and actually had like a terrible experience. It like broke down all the time. We ended up on 14 Gruas, like um, tow trucks in Spain and throughout France and and into Ireland. And it was like just a fiasco. And we were always like interested in like, oh, this is a great way to travel, especially with a dog. Turns out buying cheap vans and them breaking down all the time is also not sustainable. (laughs) Um, And and so anyway, we had had a bad experience, um, but we were always like really into it. And I hate to say like, you know, that was before van life was van life. I don't know if that's true or not, but like now it's definitely more prevalent, but we always had it on our mind. We want to get a van and drive around Europe and, and spend like, have that be our, our version of the getting away for the weekend. Um, so a couple of years ago we bought the van that we have now. And up until now, what we've used it for is like living in Valencia, we'd go for like two weeks up to the Pyrenees and, and do like our summer vacation up in the Pyrenees or a weekend trip out in the, the Campo, like the fields or the, you know, the countryside. Um, or up and down the beach, like along the Mediterranean, you can go for a weekend or something. And now we moved out of our apartment and we're like actually just going to travel around for several months and spend a couple months in a few different places, but use the van as our method to to get there and you know maybe take a week or two in between those places to to explore some some new places. Because then it's just like a cool road trip, but more comfortable and less set like you don't have to have as many appointments because you have all this flexibility and that yeah that makes total sense to me also everyone can live however they want to live however it works for them but to me it rings as correct to be like yeah no you can't live in here for more than like a couple (laughs) weeks with two people and a dog who want to keep enjoying each other's company like that's just when i think about then roping back into like you're not doing this on vacation time you're doing this also as you're working. So how has that been with your remote work? And I'm thinking like now, especially in comparison to the last time that you tried to do this pre-Spain when you had like much different experiences. It has pros and cons for sure, because on one hand, I get a huge creativity boost when I change locations. Like just one of the big perks for me and something I recognize very early is like, I, I do need a little bit of change, like mundane, r- too much routine will just like send me into a lull. On the other hand, like it took me a couple weeks to like get settled in, like find a new co-working. Like I don't work from home. I go to a co-working space, get into a routine there and just figure out stuff. And then also try to transition from being like on vacation mode to back into work mode and just little things around town. Like, you know, you just, whereas you know where the closest grocery store is, now you got to find the new closest grocery store, but extrapolate that across like everything in your life <laughs> and you're changing that every few months it it does like there's a lot of extra things on your mind 
um, which which take up space and and detract from your professional capabilities. So both those things are are true at the same time, and it kind of like evens out, I think. <laughs> and then bringing it even all the way to Freiburg, when I moved here five years ago, there was just one co-working space. And actually, when we first met, we were at the cafe attached to it. And this, so basically, mm-hmm. it's a place called Grunhof in Freiburg. And I might be getting my history slightly wrong here, but my, my understanding of the situation was like, it was 2017, 2018, they had just opened up this co-working space. No one really knew what that meant when no one had any reason to need it slash it cost a decent amount of money for what most people who were doing remote work could afford because most people doing remote work were self-employed making their own thing happen and they didn't have money to put like a couple hundred into like using the space for the month or whatever and this cafe was really very popular my understanding is that they were attached because they're like somewhat subsidizing the co-working notion through the cafe and now by the time you've gotten here I think they alone have three different locations, and I think there might even be another one in town. There's so many more. I can say from working in libraries, there's such a bigger conversation around, is this space amenable to people just doing work, whether that be studying or working remotely or whatever? Um, Are there outlets? Is there good internet? All this kind of stuff. So anyway, this whole preamble to say, like, I still kind of have this impression in my mind of Germany from back then, at least Freiburg of back then. And I'm wondering how that actually is for you. Well, I I definitely want to give a shout out to Grunhoff because it's one of the nicest co-working facilities that I've been to in in a lot of different places. And they do have really strong internet. They have, as you mentioned, they have three locations that I know of, and there, there may be another one very distinctly different. I would say like good places at least to like, you know, kind of meet some other people doing a similar thing of, again, like trying to avoid that loneliness thing. One of the things that they've done really well is they've set up phone booths all throughout. Like a lot of co-workings don't put a lot of thought behind the fact that like people have to have meetings in this remote world, but like they don't really want to have their meetings like sitting in a pit amongst a bunch of other people. And so like having these like spaces to go into where you can talk as loud as you want and they're like soundproofed, um, they have these scattered throughout. And and from like a, a challenging standpoint, like <laughs> one of the things that is just very different compared to like maybe a Southern European thing. Things are very rigid here in terms of like contracts and like what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do. It seems like almost daily there's like an email going out about like rules that have changed. And I'm like, "Eh, really, is it that important? Like a lot of places, like I've never been to a co-working in anywhere in Southern Europe where you pay like a monthly fee. And normally that just like gives you access to everything in there. But in Germany, something I find things are sometimes like overly complicated for for what seems to me like no reason like it seems like <laughs> it seems like there's some value in complicating like it it looks it's like writing a longer letter that could have been shorter but like if you write it longer it looks like more profound so yeah. we're going to write it longer i'm like but that's less efficient um <laughs> and i i find this in a in a lot of things and like in the remote work world context that's like I've got, I pay this flat fee to go to this co-working and occasionally I'm going to need to use one of these like conference rooms to do a call or something. And it's like, oh, well, you have to book that separately and pay for that separately, like 10 euros or something each time. And I'm like, well, can I just like pre-buy those? Or like, can we like, first of all, that's weird. Like, (laughs) I I think that's weird. And you have these like, if you're going to be here for six months, then you can do this kind. But if you're going to be here for three months, you do this time. And I'm like, so this like rigidity and like kind of bureaucracy is is something distinct, I feel here. And and not just with, you know, co-working, like just in, in general, there's some some things like that. 
culturally, I would say there's this concept of like, we have a lot of time, but we don't want to give a lot of money. And there's Mm -hmm. not this like connection between my time is my currency. So like I've had conversations with people having a whole debate about like two euros or like five euros or 10 euros or 20 euros. And I'm not making a million bucks, but like I really can't be bothered to like have real (laughs) big debates about like the principle of the thing or like, well, no, actually, if it it is about a principle, then we can have the discussion because then it's about something deeper. But if it's literally like just we bought this thing together, how are we going to split the cost? They would really love to like talk about it deeply, get everyone's input, like come to a consensus so that everyone spends only the amount of money that's fair to them. And then we all leave feeling good about it. But I'm like, I don't want to spend 10 minutes talking about the three euros because I would rather just have my time. And I like on principle, yeah, like maybe I think we should split this a different way, but like realistically, like just take my three euros, like it's fine. And I've had that happen and then been told it like hurts the person's feeling. Like I would prefer if we both cared the same amount about the money in the same way. This is um, a long-winded way of saying, like I'm guessing it's probably something like that where someone was like, well, I do want to join the co-working space, but I don't need these booths and they're like a special feature. So it's actually better and more fair if it's separate because then you're only paying if we're using it. You know, like in that mi- in their minds, then it's like, you know, I'm not subsidizing someone else's experience. I'm only getting what I need, which yeah. is a type of fairness. <laughs> but it's again, it's just like, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels like a machine that works well, but it's got like a lot of components and like, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, those components exactly. all need to be working really well. No, no, totally. Yeah. And then if you're, if you're not fitting into this system, like there is an awareness of exceptions, but there's also just like, well, then great. We have to do a whole other separate long process to figure it out. Like there's no concept of like, oh, we'll just like toss it in here. Like sounds like it'll kind of fit in there. It's like, no, no, no. Oh man, this is completely new. Like there is always a way, but it's still with a long process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when I'm being less grumpy about my problems with this whole like <laughs> system and structure, it's like, of course, there are so many benefits to it. The biggest thing for me, it's like, it's not the only way to do things in the world, but I can learn so much from dipping into it and experiencing it. And I'm great to be dipping into it and not be someone who's only from this one mindset or like one concept of how to solve this problem. I mean, yeah, I guess to wrap it up with one final question, I wrote this one down before we talked, and now I think I already know the answer, but would you ever consider going in person? Um, No, I won't go. I can't say back because I never really did it, but I know that that's a real option and I could make a lot more money and I could have a more like prestigious career if I were to do that, like in the fields that I work in. Um, But uh, for me, like that freedom and flexibility to choose as much as it is where I live and where I work from, it's like when has become the most important thing. The most highly functioning remote teams basically have no expectations around when you work because when really doesn't matter when your team spread around the globe. Um, so you kind of throw out the win. And so for me, I get to like create my own workday every day and every week and fluctuate that around my life, which is something I just, I couldn't give up um, to go into a physical place. And then on top of that, I just really like having my freedom to be able to move to different places if I... I it makes a lot of sense. You, you've, not that this was about selling me on a certain mindset, but I, I, I'm a little bit sold. I'm like, yeah, this all, 
this all checks. This sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I also think like we have a lot of work to do for those of us that are like trying to push this movement forward a little bit or like make it more accessible to people. I, I think we have a lot of work to do. I'm thinking about conversations I've had, for instance, with this one woman named went by Kate in the US, but she's German. So it's like, Katarina, whatever. Anyway, her, her <laughs> blog name is Share the Love Blog. And she um, started it because she started doing research about expat partners, which tends to be females. Um, and often in heterosexual partnerships, it tends to be the man who gets a job abroad and then the, the pair moves abroad. And then the woman is faced with this position of like, how do I do this with my own career? And um, she was in that situation herself when she started her own projects around this topic, doing research and different resources and things like that. And yeah, when I think about those kind of conversations and what remote work means for people in those positions, that maybe they don't have to go through this whole like emotionally traumatizing experience of losing a huge part of themselves or like throwing themselves into motherhood just because it seems like could be a good option when there's no other good options really coming to me you know when I think about things like that I'm like okay this kind of I can kind of understand where this can actually help people in situations that exist anyway so it's not about deciding to like traipse around the world so that they can like take their pretty pictures but it's actually about <laughs> a lot of different needs that can be met in a more flexible manner yeah i mean i've i've seen that scenario that you just mentioned like play out like just within my small company like multiple times like people will be able to move back home i mentioned need earlier like we had a had a teammate that was able to relocate for the last year of his dying father's life with his two young kids so that his kids could get to know his grand their grandfather before he passed away to like this very remote like little island like where there was literally nothing and and like without the access to the work that he had like that would have you know his reality would have been he would have been living in the major city hours uh, several flight hours away never spending that time with him and like so there are lots of stories there are just as many of those stories baked into this whole fabric of remote work as there are like the um, stereotypical ones that that make us all cringe <laughs> <laughs> man geez look at us just two americans ending on an emotionally resonant optimistic note how, <laughs> how, how stereotypical in and of itself <laughs> and to make it more stereotypical i'm gonna throw in the phrase um we're gonna round the corner and head to home with the ending segment which is zack 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 so um, baseball metaphors are required when Americans are discussing anything. Um, in this segment, we are I'm going to hit you with three rapid fire questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? I am ready. I think. I hope. Okay. You're hanging out in the coolest uh, co-working space imaginable and you're having a great time and someone walks in or does something and completely ruins it. What is this one pet peeve that you have in co-working spaces that can totally kill your mood? Oh, I hate when people have noise canceling headphones on and they forget that they have noise canceling headphones on and are having a call while <laughs> just shouting at the top of their lungs and not noticing that everybody's looking at them. Um, I don't understand the, the self-awareness because I'm so self-conscious about that. So I'm like, how can you not know what you're doing? <laughs> um, if I could wave a magical wand and your current van, not the one that kept breaking, but your current one could get one feature. It doesn't have to actually be realistic. Like it could be actually physically impossible in your van, but just just dream big here. Okay. What's one thing that you wish you wish you could magic into existence in your van? Well the first thing that comes to mind and if if I get if I gave myself more time, I would think of something cooler, but it's a very practical thing that I really want and I'm planning on getting, which is a uh an awning. 
it's like that like sticks oh. out and like what the, the reason for that is by the way is not just to like block sun but it also creates like it gives you like a lot more square footage because you have like it gives you like outdoor space basically and and then when it rains you don't have to like pack everything up and throw it inside the van when you're camping um, so there's a lot of benefits to having an awning. Okay. And having been in lovely Freiburg for about a month now, what would you say is the best day trip from Freiburg? Ooh, uh, I'm going to say over to the general area of the Alsace. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I never know how to say it in English. I don't know. <laughs> well, how do you say it in German? Alsace. Alsace. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this area, which actually sounds terrible now that I'm saying it out loud because it's like, oh, the best part about being in Freiburg, Germany is going to France. <laughs> no, um, but it is. <laughs> but it is a really awesome, just a beautiful area. That's like this fairy tale land lives just like 30 minutes from here. And that's, that's pretty incredible. Very, very good. If you can mention all your projects, plug your stuff, where people can find you, if they want to learn more about your podcast, about you, any of it. My podcast is called About Abroad, and um, you can learn more at aboutabroad.com. It's also like available on all the podcast platforms wherever you listen. So um, the the idea behind the show is really diving into. We do talk about a lot of remote work stuff, but it's not exclusively about remote work. Um, it's also just about like how to build a long term life for yourself abroad. And um, if you like the Expat Cast, I think you might like it too, because uh, I listened to Nicole and the Expat Cast when I was uh, first getting inspiration for how to really craft this show. So thanks to you to Nicole for that, for for uh, being an inspiration. So that's a lot of the work that I'm doing on the side. And then if you're really into the remote work stuff, follow me on, on LinkedIn and uh, well, primarily on LinkedIn. I'm, I write some articles there and talk about like remote teamwork and evolving remote teams and how to find remote jobs and, and things like that. Uh, we also have a really awesome blog at Doist, which has a ton of content. Blog.doist.com. Chase, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It was a delight. You opened yeah. my mind. <laughs> well, it was awesome to uh, reciprocate because I loved talking with you on About Abroad. And um, and actually, as I told you before, like I wouldn't be here in Freiburg right now had we not done that episode. I left that one being like, okay, we're just going. Come on, we got to do this. <laughs> so thank and you. And truly well. what a gift in return because it's been such a delight getting to know you and Allison and Coda, not in that order, but... Um... <laughs> Coda's always more popular than we are. Uh, so it's, we're <laughs> used it, to it. I got to say the bar is high in your family. Just yeah. <laughs> quality all around. <laughs> thank you so much for welcoming us. It's been great. Thank you again to Chase for coming onto the show. I am so glad to call you and Allison and Coda neighbors, more or less, here in Freiburg. Links to Chase's social media, to his podcast, and to more information about his company, Doist, are all in the show notes. I've also linked to the episode that I appeared in, so you can listen in and catch the beginning of our little story. While you're at it, you can go ahead and make sure you're following me on Instagram and on Twitter. I am at the X Podcast on both platforms, and I'm online at thexpodcast.com. As always, I want to thank Amy Lundy Art for the logo and Side Hug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. I'll be back on Thursday in your feeds with an episode keeping the Freiburg theme alive. I interview one of the people that I most admire that I've met here in Freiburg, who I was too nervous to ask to interview for years and I finally worked up the courage and I'm so excited to share the result with you. Have a great week. This done. Cheers.